It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I want to recommend a record to you. It's called Laughing So Hard It Hurts. It's by my next guest, Mavi. He's a rapper from Charlotte, North Carolina. The album came out late last year. Laughing So Hard It Hurts is an album about pain. The pain of losing a friend and loved ones, the pain of generational trauma, of relationships ending. None of this is necessarily new territory in hip-hop. But what makes Mavi's latest record so special is its vulnerability. Through his rhymes, the beautiful, subdued production, he doesn't tell you about pain. You feel it with him. Still made love in my signs. Sober up and wipe the crust on my eyes. My last integrity and trust the trailer crumbs for my bride. Is it a return or a failure to succumb to the tide? When Charlotte people see folks cherish me with such a surprise. They seeing something we not. Mavi crams 16 songs into 32 minutes on Laughing So Hard It Hurts. He's still early in his career, but he has a lot to say. I'm grateful to get to talk to him. And a quick note before we get into this interview, we did have some technical issues during the recording, so we had to use Mavi's backup recording from Zoom. So if it sounds a little different from your usual bullseye interview, well, that's the reason why. It's a really great conversation. Amazing dude. Let's kick things off with another song off Laughing So Hard It Hurts, Doves. Yeah, every turn of page is another issue. Good days is a double-edged play against you. I can't count a frame where I didn't miss you. I've been out of space knocking, trying to get through. It's close to consistent, my mental I've been drinking under the table, I thought you quit, fool I don't think you know about reverence or ridicule I don't think you know about death, it's found a principle Bobby, welcome to Bullseye, it's nice to have you on the show Man, Thank you so much for having me, I'm like so stoked to be here I'm glad that you like your record, I can see you there The like high point in the history of this show Of people enjoying listening to their record is uh, I had one of the Pointer Sisters in studio with me one time, and she just started singing along to herself. And I was like, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> well, both had, both of those happening is both a super huge accomplishment. Having the Pointer Sisters and being able to witness like a sort of live performance just from playing the song. I mean, it's just it's just nice when people like their records. You know what I mean? Like, I understand the feeling of wanting to hide from your own thing that you poured 20,000 hours into, yeah. but I also just like it when somebody likes their song and you were getting down. Thank you, man. It's definitely weird to hear your own voice, but you know, you do it for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's never stopped being weird to me. I've been doing this for 20 years now, so. Literally, like, I don't think it'll ever be regular. <laughs> Mavi, you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where you are from. Yes, um, did you have hometown rap music when you were a kid? Um, relatively. Part of it was that I was walking around the crater. The absence of hometown rap music kind of created. So we were. I was actually talking to a guy named Elevator J. He's like a like a big rapper from here, and he organized a lot of the rap community before a lot of things for a lot of people got off the ground. And one of the things we're talking about in Charlotte is Charlotte is primarily a banking city. It's the second largest banking city in America behind New York City. And I think Charlotte's hip hop tradition is stifled by the lack of just 
instrumental music tradition. It's not a city that people move to with a horn. It's a city people move to with a suit. You know, and uh, I think that kind of informs uh, the development of our of our scene. When I was a kid, my my best friend's dad was a semi professional musician, a drummer, and he had a drum set in his basement and eventually a studio. And my friend played trumpet, and his sister played flute, and it was like, oh, you know. Chloe was at Bimbo's playing with Dizzy Gillespie this week or whatever. And the thing that I saw was what it was like to have a quote unquote musical family, whereas nobody in my family really played an instrument. And I know that you grew up with the studio in your basement. So what did, what did that mean practically for your life? Uh, it meant that sometimes I would go to school yeah, in a fourth grade, people would tell me, you know, you smell like, like weed. I didn't know what weed was. <laughs> um, it meant that uh, as I grew, like um, a lot of people that I know now, just from being a rapper, it's just in the Charlotte scene, just people who've grown on to like move from being a performer primarily into like executive jobs, running their own labels around the city, like they know my father. <laughs> and it means that like uh, the demystified part of rapping and being a rapper was available to me the entire time. I read you talking about some of the rappers that you listened to as a kid and teenager. And I thought, well, these can only be the rappers that a guy whose dad had a rap studio in the basement listened to. Cause you're talking about, Oh yeah. When I was a little kid, I was really inspired by let's get free by dead Prez. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When I was a kid, I was inspired by Tony, Tony, Tony. No offense to Tony, Tony, Tony. They're great. But I wasn't listening to Paris records when I was seven. You know what I mean? How did you end up on that lane as a literal child? Yeah, it's just because my dad has a really intense and uh, specific hip hop taste. It was definitely a lot of dead press. A lot of uh, Mob Deep, a lot of Wu Tang, very New York too. Uh, super, a lot of Nas. He's a real hip hop purist. Um, MF Doom. I used to cop a lot, but never cop no drop. Hold mics like ponytails tight and bobble ops. Stop, stick around, come through and dig the sound of the fly brown 606 cycle. Who throws bitches around? Bound to go. I think. Uh, one thing I can be grateful to my father for is me and homies is talking about how uh, sometimes our fathers were like really intense about introducing us to everything about screw being like a man, like about being a dude, you know, like you need to hear this out in order to be a dude. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to let you leave my house without you being a dude. And so uh, my dad's hip hop education that he imbued me with was definitely like uh, uh, steered toward that, you know? I mean, that's a pretty intense set of aesthetic things for a kid, I think. Like leaving aside the question of whether they're good, that's a long list of great things, but like, <laughs> like Mob Deep. The gentlest music my dad would play riding around in the car would be like, the Roots album. 
You're, you're listening to Mob Deep. You're like, <laughs> I'm I'm only eight, but my mind is yeah, open. My and he's he's jamming it super loud, like he's trap music, singing along, all types of crazy things. Like, uh, man, and I think uh, I got a mature or understanding of hip hop as the expression of a hyper masculine ideal through my father's specific taste. And I learned that necessarily rap isn't necessarily about doing what you heard someone say in a rap song. Sometimes it's about the fact that you're able to, this is the only place where you're able to say these sorts of things. Like that if you wanted, you wouldn't act like that if you wanted. I was on back path, path stunning. I can wear pants on back badge on her. I had a asthma attack when we rushed him. I quit designers to stab in the stomach. That's why the gravity had to circumference. We've got more with Mavi still to come after a break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Mavi. He's a rapper from Charlotte, North Carolina. Last year, he released his album, Laughing So Hard It Hurts. It was one of my favorites from 2022. Let's get back into our conversation. Your rapping is a lot tighter and punchier on the new record. Was that a choice that you made? Choice. Choice is interesting. A lot of this album wasn't of my choosing. The subject matter wasn't of my choosing. The fact that I needed to write it, the writing on it kind of descended onto me. I had an album before this that couldn't come out because sample clearance issues. And so this album, in terms of its sonic pivot, kind of reflects that I couldn't use any samples from a beat perspective. And so the rapping had to adjust. Sometimes with samples and loops, there's an extra breath in between that, like, where all the magic happens, <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, definitely tired, swifter, definitely more of a cudgel than a scalpel on this one. But I'm getting back into my scalp, a scalpel bag on the next. Okay, I told you how my how how my my taste in rap is bimodal in that way. The different types of like performances I really can appreciate from like a linguistic word sense and from pure performance and like vocal leadership, vocal command sense, right? And my frustration is, as a vocalist primarily, choice and ability are impossible to parse from one another. 
to the listener, to the uninitiated listener. And I find myself going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between my two favorite rappers, you know? Let's hear a little bit from my guest Mavi's new record, uh, which is called Laughing So Hard It Hurts. This song is called High John. Loving my size, sober up and wipe the crust on my eyes. My last integrity and trust the trailer crumbs for my bride. Is it a return or a failure? Does it come to the tide? When Charlotte people see folks cherish me with such a surprise. They seeing something we not. Just thought it's like stopping my stomach at five. More often than not, that sustenance and not for a nine. It's stocking the clock. I'm crashing if it's high for a nine. Papa taught me a lot. Hi, John the Conqueror is like a folkloric figure. How did you come to name a record after him? My last album was called Shango. My previous album was Let the Sun Talk. My main thing is tying in spiritual traditions as like our framework for what I'm trying to do. Yeah, which is something I got from Naj, Rakim, Ghostface like vein of my rap education uh, with their just adherence to 5%. Even like uh, the Christian rappers, like DMX, the Chance the Rapper. I love that. I love when people have a greater narrative that their rap is just like uh, a testimony within. So me choosing high John the Conqueror uh, as my muse for this album. I don't know. I think I came up with the title first. And I read the story of High John second. And then I was like, oh, this is perfect. Because as much as the title is just like laughing so hard it hurts, which is just a familiar phrase. It's also like laughing so hard it hurts, like two separate titles. And high the story of High John the Conqueror as this trickster, like Bear Rabbit kind of. African American folkloric uh, figure of escape and wit and outsmarting uh, oppression from slavery to Jim Crow through the power of laughter and the ability of laughter to shorten time, quicken suffering as like a, as a painkiller of sorts. That just really encapsulated the story I was trying to tell about my own life with this album and the themes of my own existence that I wanted to address with this album. I was thinking about you going on this big tour with Jack Harlow a few years ago, and it was like your first big tour. And I had this conversation with a road engineer about touring, because I've never toured on like, with like a bus where you like take a shower at the venue and that kind of thing. And he was telling me that he started running just because it was like something that he could have control over when he was on the road. Like he didn't need to have it be in a special place to do it. Mm-hmm. He didn't need to have someone there with him to do it. And I was thinking of that kind of weird combination of like being in yourself and being out of yourself and like being with a bunch of people and being lonely that is that life. Oh man, it's an incredible loneliness, but like also a crazy level of leadership because, okay, two things. One, I had to lead my whole team. Shout out to my team for like the, my managers and all of that. But I had to like lead the squad and at the same time, like just be a contributor, an opener 
to like a greater show and just wanted to, it's like being a star on your own team and then getting traded to a championship team and then you need to make the corner three, you know? And that was a crazy experience. And then uh, just that sacrifice to like how to, the course of the day goes because travel takes up so much time. You have to do the same things with the same amount of effectiveness and a higher amount of efficiency as things go on. Just sacrificing myself to the process, sacrificing myself to the show, doing anything to get to the show. If I had to spend my last dollar, if I had to spend a thousand more dollars than I had just to get to the next show, we're going to figure it out after we finish the show. That process actually made me feel so purposeful and so like incredible. And all, all sorts of crazy things were happening. Up. While we were on tour, I went and I linked one of my homegirls from uh, college. And um, after the after party, uh, following the show in St. Louis, you know, she had had a few or whatever. And we had gotten into some kind of argument, like following her having an altercation with a guy on the street where I'm like, hey, let's not do this in front of the guys because everybody's here and I'm just open there. We are being the image of grace and ease. Um, so we get in the car, she's frustrated. She starts flooring the gas, like flooring it speeding through red lights and stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? So we get T-bone smashed, car gets finished. Everybody in the car breaks their neck in my car and in the other car, except for me. I just break my face and have like a really gnarly concussion. So that's basically the mental state that I completed the entire second leg to on some very post-concussive, hyper-emotional, manic, kind of mind state and so uh yeah doing it while in that mind state just accentuated the sacrifice to the circumstances how did you handle getting off tour the night of the last show right before it was time to go sound check i had the craziest mental breakdown of my life like the craziest because i was flat broke um, my uncle had died while I was on tour uh, and I didn't have enough money after coming back from the car accident and all of that stuff uh, to go to his funeral. Uh, I was actually feeling like actually crazy. Like on day to day, I was feeling my emotions fluctuate. I would start crying in the middle of the day. Uh, I didn't really have much to go home to. I had left out of school an additional semester to be able to go on tour. I had foregone getting an apartment to go on tour. And I just felt like I wasn't living for anything when I didn't have a show to live for. And that made me feel incredibly small and incredible. Like, whereas I took pleasure in my smallness when I was sacrificing control to the ability to float. Like when you're in the water, you know, you gotta relax on your muscles when it was time to swim again and I was way in the middle of the sea that created a panic within me that I just can't begin to describe. You know? I know that what you're describing that middle of the sea feeling, because there is when you're touring hard and you were, you have a point of light to swim towards <laughs> Right. Every single day, right? You know that you got to go on at nine ten or whatever it is. You got to get to Racine to do the Racine <laughs> show. 
all rap tours stop in Racine, Wisconsin, right? <laughs> That's true. For sure. But then when you're done with that, you're like, especially if you didn't really make any money, you're like, okay, well, here I am. I quit school. I don't have an apartment. And I don't have a show to go to tonight where people are going to applaud me. Nobody's going to scream my name tonight. You know? Tomorrow night after my overdraft account gets me the last flight before Chase Bank starts calling my phone number, no one's going to chant my name for the first night in about a month. That's impossible. (laughs) Or at least it would. It made me so tough. It made me so tough. Yeah. I I threw everything into the fire. I would do it again. We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Alex Schmidt. And I'm Katie Golden. And we make Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, a podcast about why seemingly ordinary stuff is actually the title of the podcast. Using tons of research, we take a joyful look at history and science and stories. And jokes. About the ordinary stuff in your life, because that's what makes those things amazing. Also jokes. So get excited about paper clips. Get thrilled about pigeons. Get all psyched up and running around the room about the imperial system of weights and measurements. For real, there's whole episodes about that stuff. Hear them anytime and hear new episodes Mondays at MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is rapper Mavi. Last year, he released an album called Laughing So Hard It Hurts. When I talked to him, I told him I heard a lot of loneliness in the songs. Mavi agreed, but he added that there's a lot of shame as well. And he named two songs. The first was Having My Way. It's got a bouncy kind of trappish beat. And on the surface, he's rapping about, you know, having his way. Having my way. Having my way with it. Know what they say. And you still wait for me. You can't change my fate. And yet you pray for me. I don't know my day. But I know my way just ain't getting killed. I'll snatch my chain. Another broken leg replaced it with still. The second is called Known Unknowns. It's a sultry, sensual track about reuniting with a high school crush. Talking about your wins is like 80% plus of hip-hop. But Mavi asks that you listen a little closer. But it's actually like super shameful. Having my way is about like, that mania feeling that I was telling you on the post-concussive syndrome, how having my way in the literal sense isolated me and kind of made me look like a jerk, but I kind of didn't care because I was in service of something greater. God's going to have his way with me still, you know? And no, 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 this is the same thing. It wasn't necessarily, hey, I am now confident and assured and I can dress good and I smell good in a way that gives me these access to these potential romances. It was more that like, hey, I feel puffed up by my material and career advances. It's where I'm gonna be reckless enough to inspire woo. <laughs> you know? And both of those tendencies that like really 
showed their reared their ugly heads during the tour and post-tour time period are things that I had to when the mania calmed down, when my brain reoriented itself into a stable configuration, when it was time to go home, I had to be ashamed of and be ashamed of on my own. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. I learned I could not drink or I would drink. I can't lowercase d drink. I read a few interviews where you were a couple months out of giving up smoking weed too. Yeah, I'm still I'm still on it. Three months. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Everybody, uh, sometimes people tell me like, oh, you seem so much clearer now. I'd be like, that's like so offensive to me. Like, if you thought I stopped smoking weed, which is like one of God's greatest gifts to earth, so to be more easily perceived by you. Like how incredibly ego maniacal are you? <laughs> what led you to choose this? I needed more energy. And I was releasing this album that was so different from anything that I'd ever done. And I needed to be able to verifiably assess the results lucidly. I needed to feel bad about what I needed to feel bad about, feel ashamed about what I needed to feel ashamed about, feel like I came up short wherever I needed to feel like I came up short at, and not have anything stay in that clear window. What about being sad? It's been hard to be sad about stuff with the pandemic. For sure. For sure, bro. Like, uh, I don't have much room in life to not be sad. Uh, being sad is, is like my uh, my co-pilot, you know? You were smiling. I went to my therapist, I was describing some sad thing for my life, and I was I was smiling about it like, yeah, look at this, huh? She's like, I'm not supposed to tell you about this, but that's something called incongruous affect. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, I'm probably the king of that. Uh, like, anytime someone's, like, really mad at me, and they're like, do you think this is funny? And I'm like, I'm like giggling because like, oh, like you misunderstanding me. Like, it's so weird being me. That's why the album's called what it is, you know? It's incongruent after the album. Laughing so hard, it hurts. You know? Well, Mavi, thank you so much for taking all this time to talk to me. It was it was really nice to get to know you. Congratulations on this great record. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, bitty, bitty Hopefully, you get to have me back, man. I hope I, hope I do good enough to where you're like, nah, this man, he can still rap. Let's have him back. Mavi, his new album, Laughing So Hard It Hurts, is really fantastic. You can stream it or buy it pretty much anywhere. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Outside my house, the big, giant, old tree has a few branches that are only being held up by other branches. They've been there for like a week. Uh, I I don't know what to tell you about this tree. I'll tell you, I am not going to park my car underneath it. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. 
we got booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music composed and provided to us by DJW, the great Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Our thanks to The Go Team. Our thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. Find us in any of those places. Follow us. We will share with you our interviews. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.